Merry Christmas, and welcome to episode 67 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. It is critical that we are fortified in the fundamental doctrine of Jesus Christ and who he is. Hi, this is Keith Tusi. Welcome to Leadership in Context. In our last podcast, I talked about the incarnation. And I want to kind of pick that up again and share some scripture with you because I think it's just really critical that we're fortified on the fundamental doctrine of Jesus Christ and who he is. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, starting at the first verse, it says this, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sin? What he's saying is simply this, the proof of the sacrificial system, and that's what was being debated in the book of Hebrews, by the way, was the fact that New Testament believers no longer needed to make any kind of sacrifice, that Jesus was the final sacrifice. But he's giving a logical argument saying, if those sacrifices really worked, if they were not just a shadow pointing to the true Lamb of God, then why did you have to keep doing them over and over again? And he goes on and says in verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is the verse that I really wanted to get to, but I wanted to give you a little bit of context. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That's my favorite Christmas verse in the whole Bible right there. When he came into the world, he said his communion to God was sacrifice and offering. That is not what you desired. So you prepared a body for me so that I could sacrifice this body, that I could feel all the pain and suffering just like a a mere man would feel. And only as a son of God could I bear their sins. So he bore the pain in his body and he bore the sin in his soul to become the ultimate scapegoat for us. Think about that. That was his dedication. I was born to be crucified. This is the miracle. This is the majesty of the incarnation that God has given to us. And I just think it's so powerful. That verse just speaks to me so strongly. And then in verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will of God. My understanding of that verse is Jesus again, is, is, is communing to the Father. He's a babe on the outside, but he's, he's communing to the Father. He's saying, the book. The book is about me, okay? Now, whether that's in reference to a particular scroll, uh, some scholars believe it might be in reference to the book of Psalms, okay, maybe. Or if it's in reference, maybe, let's say it's to the book of Isaiah that has a lot of messianic uh, prophecies, like Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7. 
Isaiah 53, on and on, some of the more familiar ones. But nonetheless, it is the book of God. I just choose to believe it's talking about the whole of Scripture, the whole Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And of course, that was the apostolic argument. When, when they were in the synagogue and they were waxing bold and they were preaching Christ, what were they preaching? They were preaching Christ from the Old Covenant. They were showing Jesus. They were showing that Jesus was that Lamb of God. And then if you go to the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, the whole argument is laid out there on who he is. And just starting in Hebrews 1.1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to what? The fathers, the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus was the heir of all things, but it says here, through him, God created the world. This is critical doctrine because it shows us that Jesus is not a created being, but he was the creator of all beings, that he was indeed God. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't a spirit being. He wasn't some kind of creation in between man of God. And then he goes on and actually embellishes this even further. In verse 3, he says, and he is the radiance of his glory. Remember, God doesn't share his glory. And the exact representation, exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power when he made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now watch this. This is important to remember they're answering a, a deception. They're answering a false theological position here. In verse 4, he says, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So it's very clear. In verse 2, we see that he is the creator. In verse 3, he's the exact radiance and the representation. In verse 4, he's not an angel. He's better than the angels. Hallelujah. And then in verse 5, he caps it off even more. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. By the way, that's a great verse when the Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door. Uh, they're, not, they're not really too good at answering a lot of them, but uh, that one really seems to some reason to leave them stymied. That which time did he ever say? To which angel did he ever say? This day I have begotten you, okay? Because that was the time when God put himself in flesh. That's what he's speaking of that time. He's not talking about the beginning of the world where he initiated time. And then he even goes further in verse 6. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Only God is to be worshipped, and here we see God directing the angels to worship him. Of course, we know 
the Christmas story, what did the angels come and do? The angels came and worshipped him. Who else came? The wise men came and worshipped him. The people that encountered him came and worshipped him. Only God is worthy of worship. This is the incarnation. This is God manifesting himself in the flesh. And the book of Hebrews was written to that first century believers, Jewish believers who were struggling with some of these ideas, some of these false teachings that were going on about Jesus. Well, he was a good man, but he wasn't God. And then someone was saying, well, he wasn't even man. He was just like a spirit being. And he was kind of this messianic creation, this kind of person in between. He was, he was a spirit being, but he wasn't quite man. He wasn't quite God. You know, very mystical stuff, okay? I guess they were having a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that Isaiah the prophet said unto us, a son will be born, and he will be the everlasting father, Isaiah 9. Okay, so there we have that connected. He'll be the everlasting father. A son is born, but he's the everlasting father. There's only one way that can happen. That's when God inserted himself in the affairs of men by clothing himself in a body that he could feel, that he could touch, that he could taste, that he could weep, that he could feel rejection that he could be tired, that he could be worn out and exhausted, that he would know what it was like, and there would never be an excuse on our part to say that God does not understand. Do you understand that when we celebrate the Incarnation, one of the most prophetic things we're doing is we're saying we can never say that God does not understand, that God Almighty cannot relate to me. Because I guess you could say, you know, if you were just talking about the sovereignty of God, there is no way God who is God could ever understand what it was like to be man. But God solved that. He took that out of the equation by literally not just identifying with us, but by becoming one of us, sinless as it was, because he escaped the sin nature through the virgin birth. The incarnation is incredible. It's such a, a cornerstone of Christian doctrine. And I pray during the Christmas season that we really maybe take some time to really consider the reality of those things. Hey, it's been great to be with you. Have a Merry Christmas. God bless you. Today, Keith continued his discussion on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. A son was born who was the everlasting father. God inserted himself in the affairs of man by clothing himself in a body. A body where he could feel, touch, taste, weep, feel rejection, feel tired, be worn out and exhausted. He would know exactly what that was like. God did not just identify with us, but he became one of us in the form of a sinless man who is both fully man and fully God. That is the incarnation. That is what Christmas is all about. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. 
Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, you can check out our website, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.